Welcome to Our Present Future, Explorations in Regeneration. This episode is with Nunu de Silva and Constanza Belchior. Nunu and Constanza are the co-founders of Lucida, an organization dedicated to supporting the deep change processes that are involved in integrating and working within a living systems vision. Both Nunu and Constanza have quite diverse backgrounds and experiences from a range of industries, including science, economics, development, policy, among others, which gives them both quite unique perspectives on how to enliven regenerative values in existing communities and organizational cultures. In this conversation, we discuss some of the sensitivities around language and framing in conversations about regeneration and sustainability, about how expectations are set by different narratives, and we reflect on how to navigate the intention to hold both meaningful and accessible spaces for transformation. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Leonard Silva and Constanza Belchior. Nunu, Constanza, welcome and thank you very much for joining me. I'm very excited to have this conversation and we have no shortage of interesting topics to go into, but we chose to focus today on the complexity and importance of language and framing around sustainability, around regeneration, uh, the tensions that can arise with greenwashing, um, and we'll get into all that. But first, I wanted to start and ask you to please introduce yourself and, and your work. Yeah, thanks, Jay, for having us. So my name is Constanza. Um, I am from Lisbon. That's where I am right now. Um, I think where I would like to start by saying what, you know, a little bit of me is is uh, my background in biology, because I think marine biology, because I think that informed the way I look at life and I look at the world. And I think now that I'm... Uh, I'm uh, doing something else uh, that really stands out. So I've worked a lot in the field around science and policy, environmental policy, trying to, to bring that sort of understanding of life and the science behind it and all the data indicators of, of marine ecosystems and the impact of human activities, all of that into policy. And then um, basically after doing 10 years of that, I realized that we might have been doing or gaining incremental gains, actually change in terms of some of the indicators around pollution or around um, habitat destruction or, you know, biodiversity, not really, but some, you know, environmental indicators are getting a little bit better, better in the short term, but then the longer term, the systemic views of all of these interacting forces was, uh, was not working. And, so I left that field asking, like, so there's some deep transformational change that we as humans have to do on this planet. And it's not in the science policy world that I'm going to find how to do that. And that led me through, you know, big five years of exploration, uh, actually, and around leadership, around creativity, around facilitation. So very much how do we work collectively which brought me to regenerative development, which I'm sure we'll get into. And in that process, I met Nunu, 
and and then we I think we all went through this transformational process with the regenerative development field, and we we somehow what emerges that we had to work together, and that offspring a few years later, two years now, uh, is Lucida, which is our organization uh, that is really aimed at managing, helping, supporting change change processes, change management, so that um, so that that change actually leads to systemic effects that really integrate people, planet, society. So we're very much with this regenerative thinking into it. So I'll pause there and pass on to Nuno. I always Great. love to hear your story. Uh, every time there's a little detail that is that changes or it's yeah, it's strange to talk about us. Uh, I, I was trying, I was listening to Constance and trying to think like where to start. You know, I've I've always been kind of uh, curious and um, and I one of the things that I kind of realized throughout my life is as many people around me usually come at discussions or conversations full of certainties. And I always been like a bit that kind of guy that is listening and kind of building ideas or building my own thinking. So I've, I've always been questioning a lot. So I, I've studied my background is in economics and economics was kind of a, a, a really um, painful uh, experience going through university, firstly, because it didn't make sense the way we were learning. And, and it, uh, when you go into economics, if you are a questioning mind, it's very hard because the way it, uh, economy is teached around the world is pretty much the same. So it's a very narrow perspective of what economy is and what what kind of uh, economic thinking goes behind it. In that time, I was involved already in the in youth organizations, doing a lot of things with citizenship, participation, um, intercultural learning, human rights, peace education. So after one year and a half working in the in the private sector, I just turned my back on, on it and, and went to work fully in the, in the civil society field um, with network of youth organizations around Europe, North Africa, Middle East, with a, with a question on my background, which is like, we are not learning what we need to learn to be able to cope with the world of the end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century. So what kind of capabilities, capacities we need to develop and how to develop them was a big question mark for me. And going through the civil society work with youth organizations and working with what we call in Europe non-formal education, I discovered there's really amazing ways to engage young people in learning adventures, journeys, peer-to-peer -peer learning in a way that is much more engaging and coming from their own interests and what the building, helping them build their capacity to understand the world, make sense of it and act in it. So that was my journey, like from the first decade of professional decade. And then I went to work with the World Bank and the Ministry of Education in Timor. And that's what was kind of the final dramatic change for me, because after that, I really uh, questioned the model of development uh, that the Western world is kind of um, exporting to, to the rest of the world. And uh, I came back to Europe in 2014, really in a place of... Yeah, the way I've even the way I've been thinking about education is not enough. 
there's something more we need to be doing. So I went into a, a long journey of discovery, working with uh, permaculture, uh, systems thinking, um, started to do theory U hubs in, in the south of Portugal. So really looking for different ways to integrate individual and collective, inner and outer work. And uh, when, when I made the course with Constanza in uh, of regenerative development in 2020 was really, I would say, the end of a cycle of saying, I found, in a way, I found my home and now I'm going to move in this direction of working with regeneration and regenerative development because it's a, a practice that in a way allows me to, invites me to embody and, and incorporate, integrate everything I've been doing until now. So I guess one of the things that we have in common, it's in our DNA, I mean, Constance, is this sense of uh, being willing to get out of our comfort zones, not get attached to, you know, uh, be to always of thinking and doing things and, and to institutions or a certain professional career and really go after what it's our, our, in our hearts, what's deeply in our souls calling us to do in the world and uh, and doing that, that, that stretch because, you know, it's, it requires a stretchiness to Keep, keep questioning ourselves, questioning the world around and really being um, developing that elasticity, that muscle to, you know, go, go and take risks and, and explore the unknown, the not knowing and, and be comfortable in that place or find some comfort. It's never totally comfortable, but at least find some comfort, some, some way to re continually re-energize ourselves. And I think you, this is something that might resound a lot in you also from what I know from you, Jay. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, thanks. Uh, I've got like three different top questions bubbling through my mind listening to both of you. I'd love to start with this point that you just mentioned, Nunu, about this continual stretch. And I think this relates to framing and to language, but it's more on a personal level. And it's about expectations and expectations that reside within a paradigm or within a culture. So perhaps Constanza in the scientific community, I wonder if when you realize actually this is incremental, it's helpful, but perhaps it's not significant enough. Was there, were there windows or doors that you felt maybe we could make a wedge and grow in here? Or was it like, we think this way and we're happy with this and, and even contest bringing that question was shut down. And yeah, sort of how, how have you seen the sort of immune system of the cultures that you've been, you know, having your, your journeys going through, what are the expectations of these cultures? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I guess in a way, I left that science policy world because I, I, I got to those limits. I did explore them as much as possible. And I, I must admit that it also depends on on where you are, of course, exploring these, these avenues. So I was, my last uh, work place was uh, the European Environment Agency. And I must admit that I think as an institution, a formal institution, an EU institution, uh, it was also part of its remit. It was really to explore, you know, to give the, the what they would call like the rock solid knowledge base 
knowledge coming from you know from a kind of a a stream from data to uh, to information to then knowledge. Um, so there was a lot of I think subjectivity that was um, invited to that space, and that meant also like these questions that one could have, right? So okay, so what do you look like to give to support policies? where you're trying to look into the systemic effects, you're trying to look into something that's much more complex that right now doesn't really fit in an indicator or a report or something. So I, I was very blessed to work in that space that allowed a lot of um, exploration. And yet it still it still had its limits because it has a certain remit and it has and it was at the edge. So I think for me it was and also from my experience there, even within the commission and et cetera, there's a lot of people that are thinking, having these questions, holding these questions, trying to challenge the expectations that a certain culture has, namely the, the policy one also has huge ones. Um, what was missing, I guess, was this process of bringing what's at the edge to the core and allowing it to kind of really shake the core. Um and I would say maybe, you know, things do pick up. So today systems change, for example, is something that's really, uh, that's all over, right? And, but I, I mean, in terms of language as well, what is this? It's like, what, what do we mean by system change, right? What do we mean by system thinking? Is it just putting more things together and then, you know, integrating them somehow? Or is it like what this regenerative space really asks of us, which is, ah, how is that, then, you know, like what is the sense making I'm doing? How is that challenging my own belief system, my own worldview, and then that of my culture, of my institution? Is that serving what we're seeing in the world, observing the world, sensing in the world? So that sort of deep questioning, that didn't happen. Um, not in the in the core, you know? So there's that just felt like that immune system is at the core, not at the edges, you know, it's just how to how to bring that into the core and allow those those spaces of transformation to happen. Do you think that um, that sort of at that core of the culture that we must have, you know, data hypothesis, there's these core patterns of the scientific method. Do you think that could be redirected to embrace a broader living systems worldview? Or do you think there's something fundamentally missing in that sort of core approach? Mm. No, I think, I mean, then you also need rigor. I think that's the other thing. And I think what the scientific approach brings, it's a method, a rigorous method of testing things out and seeing if there's truth in it and also like a temporary truth to it. I think the way that society has co-opted science as if they're you know like we went from religion to science almost and then we're putting science as in the pedestal without really challenging okay what's you know just a part of the truth um that's i think it's it's how you do it i think as a method it's really valuable but again it's just one real rigorous method normally aimed at things you can measure and observe and there's a lot of these of the world that we're seeing these changes that need to happen you know belief systems worldviews all of this that doesn't really have a, not not it basically requires a different way of trying to measure I'm not going to say you cannot measure or quantify it or something but we're not there yet and I think that's the exploration so it's not about the method it's how we're using it and and the importance that we're giving to it I would say that's my my view that makes sense 
I think the rigor, I just wanted, I think that's also the core of this discipline. And you do need the rigorous methods to be able to, otherwise you, you do get lost. So to do really do profound systems change, you do need to be rigorous and, you know, understand what you're observing and, and sharing it and allowing it for the, the whole peer discussion. Uh, you know, so there's a lot that we can take from that method to really be rigorous about how we're discussing this, this transformational processes. Definitely. I think it, it ties into this notion of Nunu, you were mentioning, you observe so many people being so confident and so certain along your path and that you kind of had this natural instinct to say, or I interpreted your, your description as maybe questioning that, you know, why so certain? Are we really that certain? And what would be the advice to these cultures that you've been working with in your, in your experience? to redefine their relationship with certainty? How would you propose? Um, it's almost like we can be more confident when we embrace a little bit more humility. We can still use our methods. We can still bring rigor. But maybe we are over-interpreting or giving too much weight to some of these results. How would you elaborate or, or contrast on that and, and think about this notion um, uh, in, in the organizations that you've been in. Yeah, just to start to be, to be fair, we, we are hardwired to be uh, aiming for homeostasis. So in a way, living systems are hardwired to try to maintain a certain balance in their meeting of the context, right? So that's that's ingrained in us and it's also ingrained in um, any sorts of scales of living systems. But if you think about an organization or a community, those forces to try to keep stabilizing the system and in a way controlling it are always there, right? So there's always you know, a part of us that resists to change. That's why Often I was thinking about Constance's uh, change when she left the, the institute, and then also in my in my own experiences, turning out, out or turning my back to institutional spaces I was in, was this kind of uh, awareness that this is not working anymore, and also a recognition that I don't have the capabilities now to cope with this within this context. So that's why often people turn their backs to context, familiar contexts and go, you know, search for new tribe, new places, new, new uh, ideas, because it just, it's, there is a crisis, right? There, there's, there's a crisis there. So I think that's, that's something to look into because we often think change in putting, putting force into change. And if you look around, most of the change uh, uh, initiatives, they involve putting uh, energy out in the world, doing things, moving things around. Uh, Carl Sanford says this, it's in a way kind of playing like pool, pool playing. You just go with your cue and you knock on the ball to touch on that so to put the other ball on the, on the pocket. But actually change in, in, in nature is quite... Uh, emergent, some, it's very hard to predict, can happen in any kind of from anywhere. Uh, so I think it's more, I started to look like what can we nurture in ourselves and in, in organizations 
that can be conductive to cope with change in a more conscient way. So there's definitely things we can do, right? We can practice in ourselves. One is this humility we're talking about, to really be humble uh, towards a living world that is always, you know, kind of bringing chaos and wilderness in it. And that's also in us because we are nature. And, and kind of creating structures that allow us to move forward. But we have to un unpack a lot of things because we've been... And I think I want to bring in is we have a culture that has been for the last 10,000 years working a lot on fixating people in territories and, and kind of controlling those territories for the benefit, for our benefit. So we've been, it's a lot of generations working towards management and control of ourselves and the environment around us so that it becomes something expectable. So you see a lot of the science from the last uh, millennia, and particularly after um, Illuminism, has been around control and prediction, around our ability to uh, uh, predict the way the world is going to unfold. And we are getting more, as, as the last century, sciences of quantum physics have been emerging, uh, we've been starting to realizing that actually the world is much more, uh, you know, like permeable and kind of chaotic and impossible to control. So we need to work with life and the living forces in a different way, not in a way of management and control, but in a way that we work with our conscious to understand the processes and, and uh, be humble because they are quite complex. And one person alone cannot fully grasp what's going on around us. So how we can being humble individually, being humbly collectively, start to have conversations from a more not knowing place and questioning things, particularly our ways of thinking, because this, these things, these ways of thinking about ourselves and the world around are pretty much embedded in us and in the educational systems. So I was just thinking, like, imagine my generation still learn in school that, and it was my my parents' message that is if you do this path in education and you finish college, the rest of the life will be pretty much uh, an easy script. You know, it's going to be happy forever, good good employment, a career, you get married, have kids, and that's it. But the world changed dramatically and is showing us that that kind of thinking is not doesn't make sense anymore. And that actually learning and keep moving ourselves as the world moves around us is essential to life. It's uh, It's part of how life works. So that there's a, a lot of unpacking to do, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I, I think of that example a lot of the go to school, get a good job, you know, have a family. This is like a, such a common default path, at least for a lot of, um, you know, large part of the culture and how much of a, you know, recalibration that people need to go through. It's like, now enough of us know we've gone through enough iterations that we can say okay raising kids and telling them that it's not going to go that way for most right it's it's a so there's a there's a hypocrisy built into that uh common frame that we know is going to lead to challenge and struggle and i see a similar um i don't know the best way to frame it please take it and elaborate, but a similar concern or challenge around sustainability and regeneration and that we have so many people, so many hearts, minds, souls 
coming into new relationship with nature and to understand, okay, tipping points, planetary boundaries, ecology, biodiversity, climate change, all of these things, all the plastic, all of these entry points into the conversation that then each go into their sort of tunnel niche marketing, um, you know, if it bleeds, it leads the sort of sensationalism. There's a, there's a whole echo chamber and framing that onboard, onboards people in that is going to lead to a disappointment is going to lead to a, a moment where you say, Oh, it's more complex than I thought. Mm. And so if you're not, if you're not invited to think about complexity, if you're not grounded in expectation that is going to help you weather the, the stretches that you mentioned in the beginning, like you, you're going to, you're going to need constant renewal of this will and understanding. And each moment where we have a kind of worldview expansion is like, okay, wow. And, and that's sort of enriching and, you know, it's like nutrition, but it's also, again, humbling. And so this is a concern of mine is like how the common tendencies for marketing and communication, and of course, this is largely advertising driven and the types of platforms and, you know, context in which this communication is being delivered, but how they frame the expectations in a way that is ultimately unserving to the long-term journey to the long game which is we're in this for the long run we got to really rewire our whole relationship with the world and we don't really know how to do it we got some good ideas but we also disagree on a lot and we're trying to figure it out so welcome to the mess but it feels good to be a part of it if you have the right expectation how do these themes resonate with you and how have you reflected on this sort of challenge of, of opportunity of, of setting good expectations for this difficult, but ultimately enriching journey. Hmm. What a question. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great question because we've been struggling with that struggling. Let's say we've been dancing with that question constantly. Right. Constanza. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> our way, our very humble way of, of, of welcoming the mess and, and actually getting some new value from the mess that can put us on a, that longer transformation that you're speaking to was to, was to create Lucida. Mm -hmm. And which just comes down to <clears throat> from this deep felt sense of what I and Nuno that comes together, we, we saw that is needed in the world. And from our kind of own, yeah, we were we use the word, so I'm very mindful about the language since you put that into the into the space, right? But we use the word essence, but it would be something about what's that thing that you really consider? Like if you really were to close your eyes and try to, you know, if an alien would come, as Nuno many times talks about that example, aliens come and speak to us, right? If an alien would come and ask, so who are you? <laughs> What would you tell that alien about yourself, you know? And somehow that would be the essence, you know, not just physically. But there's something about, you know, some from what the world, what we see the world needs. Uh, open, you know, being, as we said from our trajectory, very open to different perspectives, uh, cultures, you know, trying to get out of our echo chamber, as you're mentioning, but knowing that there's always an echo chamber somehow, but then also being very conscious about these different perspectives. And, and knowing that there's truth to all of them. Yeah, reality is just too complex for one truth. Again, science 
Um, so, and then from our own essence, we are, you know, like, what is it that we can bring to the world that can help a little bit change in that, towards that direction? And then through Lucida, we're trying to, it's very new and it's very, very unknown in terms of how we can even um, design services that help bringing this change with more conscious looking at self, looking at you know the the we space and also the work that you're doing in the world to to look at this as a whole so it's not disconnected and that means if we end up working you know just with one organization here in portugal or if it's an international network or if it's uh you know or if it's a very local community in the in in Sintra or in the south of the algarve or it doesn't really matter uh, for us because we don't know what 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 the other outcomes are right and i think what's really important is to acknowledge that there is this larger forces like social media, all of that polarization, all of that oversimplification, you know, just bringing in this this consumerist mindsets and the convenience, which I think it's a really, really also a, another large wave that is very not helpful to the type of deep transformation work that you need to do because it's not convenient. You're not going to do it fast, <laughs> fast and furious. Um, so acknowledging all of that and at the same time creating these other spaces where you can have those conversations, where you can have those experiences, where you can have those reflections that will have, that's our belief anyway, and a little bit of our experience so far, <clears throat> that will have those those other consequences, other shifts in the system that you don't know what they will unlock or that will transform. So for me, it's always about coming back to what you want to do you feel that the world, that's a contribution quite unique and have to the world. And that speaks to who you want, the type of creation that you deeply want to bring into the world. And the rest is the rest. The rest is the mess. Yes. Well, it's, it's actually um, great you brought this, uh, Jay, because so we were talking about like there's there's resistance to change in, in, in every living being in a way, right? There's there's some energy put for conservation, for uh, balance, for maintaining. Um, and what, what we've been reflecting in Lucid and it's been at the center of our way of thinking about change is that if you look at the last 30, 40 years, let's say, right? Sustainability as a word start to really um, show up after 92, in the first COP and then has been slowly but very steadily building up and now it's, it's all over the place. Uh, but what we realize if we observe more carefully the way sustainability as a concept and as an idea is being processed and, and, and acted upon, pretty much what we usually do is we process these ideas or these concepts with the mindset, the, the framing we have at the moment. We don't question the way we are thinking. We just come with this new thing and process it. So what happens is often what you call co-option, right? Uh, this kind of uh, greenwashing that often I would say happens, a, a big part of it happens inconsciently. It's just, you know, our own selves not questioning things deeply and just processing things with the habitual ways. Uh, and then the outcomes are not going to be that different, you know? So you see a lot of work of people, or especially organizations putting sustainability out there in their the way they show up. 
but actually uh, they are still doing quite they, they kind of they might do some incremental changes but it's not going to be really uh, to a whole new level so we're going to be generating kind of similar results so we start to look like actually we need to work on being more able to invite people to observe and question their thinking process so that we actually start to really shift different aspects of thinking. Because one of the things, for instance, it's all over the place is we usually fall into a mechanistic, fragmented way of looking at things. Even if you talk about sustainability, circular economy, or some of the other formulas or concepts and, and, and models that are showing up, most of them, we still process them in a way that we end, end up looking and separating things in parts, organizing a linear process, intervening in very um, partial ways, which often somehow solves something concrete, but then generates all sorts of other problems in the system, other kind of feedback um, loop, loop effects and all different kinds of things. So that there's a way in which we really need to start to develop, and, and I would love to talk about that, new, change our ways of thinking and develop new capacities that we need to develop. Otherwise, we'll keep on processing these ideas, and we'll, it's happening also with regeneration, with the same mindset that create them, and we're not going to, we're going, in that way, the way we think about crisis is part of the crisis. Yeah, I think that's so important, and also, I feel so much uh, sensitivity around how that can be productively proposed and invited with, a, unless somebody is already ready and interested in seeking, I would really, you know, I've had a moment where I've been humbled and I, I understand I have these thinking patterns leading me into certain uh, perspectives. Wow. I want to expand. Great. There's a lot of good tools to receive, but if it's somebody that has life and kids and work and is overwhelmed and has this much of their attention and energy available to think about sustainability initiative X and that they've already, you know, feel like they're behind and they want to get something done. And then you come in and say, well, hold on. Um, it's actually important that you think completely differently. It may lead to some, oh, okay. Now I'm, you know, my expectation was I could get some insight on this specific initiative. And now you're telling me I don't even see the world correctly. Um, I'm overwhelmed, right? And so how to, yeah. which, you know, you could say is always good in the long run because the more people that ask that question, great. But there's also a sensitivity on the timing and the form that they come. That may put that person off another 10 years and say, I'm so irritated with this. Whereas if they had a, you know, smoother onboarding into that theme where they were really intrinsically motivated into it, it could be more fulfilling. And so it becomes very difficult to meet people where they are. Imagine a company that wants to turn their operations sustainable, but the things on their mind right now are, how do I reduce uh, paper? And I guess I should look into carbon credits. And, you know, there's a very, um, you know, there's a few keywords and topics, but they're really not immersed in ecological overshoot and collapse and biodiversity and all of these nuances that would bring them into more humility about the frame, but yet they still have the intention. So how to, how to cultivate that intention kindly and gently while also not 
lying to them by letting them believe you got it, you know, because it's like, well, really, there's a bigger conversation. But to get into that conversation, there's kind of this gate that you need to go through this worldview perspective questioning. Um, have How do you wrestle with this? Uh, I, I think it connects. I'll try to summarize. I know this is a little long winded, but I think it connects to this incremental versus um, disruptive innovation or change. And it's, you know, how far is far enough, right? And so how do you meet people and help them take the first steps and take their, you know, claim their, their, um, you know, moment on, you know, entering their journey, mm. but also um, be authentic to let them know of what comes ahead. Mm. That's great. That's a great question. And actually, it's an open inquiry, because I think that's an art. It's, uh, there's no method to it. Um, and, <clears throat> and it's, it's about building with experience. So I can tell you that the first organization that we work with, we just came out of the regenerative development course and we were humble enough by the practice because we understood what it meant to bring about, you know, change that is connecting yourself, your team or your organization, plus the work that you're doing in the world. Um, and so we were humble and and yet we thought we could really, you know, that we knew how to do this. And and we just had a huge, it was amazing. And I think we ended up bringing a lot of value for both sides. But in the end, we just, we thought, okay. And this was again, an organization that was already open to change. It was not like, just like, oh, I just, you know, like, no, no, I understand. I deeply understand the challenges in the world. And this this is really about, I want this organization to have a different role. What's the role of companies in the 21st century, given the landscape? So it's, you know, so someone pretty open, but in the end, we, we just thought, okay, we can do this directly. We can work with, you know, elements of leadership. We can work with your belief system directly. We can work with all of this. And we just got um, a bit of backlash, which is normal because then you get into that really uncomfortable space and where you kind of, yeah, everything is shaken. So as you were saying, you know, you might get into 10 years behind. That's that's a risk. It wasn't the case. But so I think that first experience for me, at least it really was like, oh, okay, wait, <laughs> we had a perfect setting here, someone very open to do transformational change. And yet, uh, realizing that, um, you know, you cannot look at, at the world as if, you know, just because I like change, and I went in through this journey and Nunu as well, that others will also kind of immediately want to do that. I think since then, that question of meeting people where I'm at, it's a very, and then slowly, gently, as you said, gracefully do the work. I think at least with Lucy, that what we try to, you know, when we try to do the pattern, try to see the pattern of our approach based on that experience and the others that we had before, was a bit like we, we used the analogy of of um, of um, of flirting, you know, dating. So you don't really once you know someone, you don't go like, okay, let's get married, have kids, live together, <laughs> <laughs> jump in, you know, like that's it. Share bank accounts and let's do our will. By the way, <laughs> right? There's a moment where you just need to kind of hang out, 
and just let your whole being kind of sense that person and in this case an organization or a community and you know and trying to really show you i i have the responsibility of showing up to my fullest self so that that's kind of the there's a you know the field that we're creating the energy field if you want is is also inviting that space for others to do that and then it's about really deeply understanding the challenge and not just maybe what they're saying right what is and that means that you get you have to get to know the person a little bit again you go into the dating moment right there's you have to get to know and understand understand a bit the patterns of how they look at the world how they engage with others with their co-workers with you know their families how they see things so you start to kind of like understand a bit more what's the challenge what's behind that challenge what's the real challenge you know and then you put it that open, you know, you try to, does it resonate? And then, but with that, you're kind of building that relationship, your, that trust, that care. Uh, and, and then, you know, maybe you can do, you can start to do some work, you know, we can bring in some of the tools that we work with, which are these dynamic frameworks that help what Nuno was saying to help bring more awareness to how you're thinking, what kind of elements are you putting together? What is the level of, yeah, thinking or like, you know, is it coming from an ego perspective or, you know, from a more purposeful mode, for example. So you start to to let the way that you work with that person, that organization emerge from the context, from the very specific context that they're in based on your deep understanding, deep care for that. And then, and then you know, so this is like a modular approach if you want. And then maybe there's a step where you say, okay, look, it was great, this whole dating. And I just want to be friends with you that's fine, you know, <laughs> or like, this is not for me. Like, that's also fine. <laughs> um, or like, okay, let's, let's go on a trip together, maybe, you know, so this is very like a slow process that needs to unfold. And, and we just try to be ready for this unfolding. And, 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 and which is, which in the end very much comes with the quality of being that we bring to these to these uh, meetings or to these conversations, you know, and that's, I think it's also you need to create a little bit, I think, of a space for people to not be in that automatic mode, you know. So even if it's just for one hour to create a field, like now we're just in this podcast and I really feel, how, you know, like we already know each other, but still it's like we have a common interest, but still it's deepening, right? There's something here that is moving us, that is that is making a smile as I'm seeing Nunu and yourself. So there's something here that we can pick up. And then like from that space, is there another conversation? Is there another output? But I think the most important thing as well, and that we learn a lot with our mentors, that we're pioneering this sort of work, which are developing, right? 30 years ago, which was even much more alien back then. I can't even imagine the struggles they had. Um, it's an investment that you're doing in a system. So even if you only have one conversation of 30 minutes with one person and that you think doesn't lead to anything, it's, it might have outcomes that come back three years later because that person reminded, that person was in a different space then and then kind of like, oh, wow, I remember that conversation. Maybe I'm going to call, I mean, what's Constanza up to now? Or Nunu or Jay, right? So it's trusting that you're putting these out there in the system and this is this information that will might do something, might not do, but you're you're letting go of that expectation of the outcome. That's how I respond. That's, That's beautiful. wonderful. I, I was just wanting to acknowledge one thing I think we all kind of uh, agree upon that is 
all that's happening now, it's happening in the context of, and, and you've alluded to the term culture, uh, Jay, uh, within cultures that I think are profoundly traumatized and have a lot of pain as a result of, of this mindset, you know, and in a way it's, it's a cycle we've been going through as humanity, this profoundly uh, kind of coming down to a material world and just focus on the material, focus on the individual, on the, the smallest unit of, of society, which is the person, has brought amazing changes, but also a lot of limitations. And one of the challenges that you brought that I think is quite important to recognize is that both within us and in the culture, there's a lot of uh, aspects of our uh, uh, patterns of in engagement that are uh, limiting our capacity to change. The number of hours we work per day, the fact that we have, I, I was just, think about us, like the two of us, right? Or the three of us, we, we are parents, we have kids, we have growing parents that need also to, some care. So we are in that kind of generation starts to be in the middle. And we have all this pressure in a very individual way. Well, before that would be uh, lived in a more, much more communal way with much more networks of support. Uh, you know, just, just to illustrate that kind of mindset, when I arrived in Timor-Leste, I got shocked with how much families spend money on marriages and, 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 uh, and uh, funerals. Particularly in funerals, it's crazy. You know, people come from all over the island to um, mourn with you, and they they spend the, uh, days in the house of the family of the, the the relatives that died, living on their expenses. And I said, this is not sustainable. These people don't live well, and they spend all this money. This doesn't make sense from my mentality, economical mentality from the West. But obviously, if you dive a bit deeper. Those are the moments that the bonds are re reinforced, that really connections are built in such a strong way that they will be supporting each other throughout life, you know. Mm -hmm. So that, that's something that's really important to acknowledge that makes really the dramatic um, resistance to changes in the systems. So I guess one of the movements is to really start to create a... Uh, nurturing environments and relationships. So for instance, when we look at the, uh, at the client, we don't look at the client like, and we don't look at our services as we have something to sell and it's a transaction. And if you don't want, like this first company we worked with, they fired us a couple of times. You know, like <laughs> They would say, okay, we, there's no conditions for us to do this work now with you guys, it's better we stop. And we would constantly come back and say, okay, we understand. But our commitment is to your willingness to continue this path and to believe that it's possible to be a different kind of company in the 21st century. And that's what we are of service, that you want to do this, that we believe in, and we want to help you with that. And that will not stop just because we stop working tomorrow. That will continue throughout life. So can we start to work in those ways to create this kind of relationships that are mutually supportive? So for us, for instance, when we do this work and it's very hard and it's not going to be comfortable in any time in the future, our mentors from Regenesis talk about that. Um, so how can we build relationships of friends in the world that we support each other, how in companies we can start to... So 
we had the idea with this company, we we're going to do step-by-step -step change the whole company. And that doesn't change doesn't work that way, right? So one of the key aspects of the way we're working with is each living system has a unique essence, as something unique value is bringing to the, the systems is engaged with, the, the world is part of. And in that way, that's not something fixed, right? So living beings are always in change, changing throughout life. So there's a developmental capacity to keep being grazing our capacities to deal with the challenges and growing challenges throughout life and be able to develop ourselves to cope with that and to generate more value for ourselves, for each other and for the world around. So when we look at others, we start to say like, we don't want to work with people just that are there because what, what, what we want to start to work with is what is the persons or the organizations wanting to bring into life and, to, and start to see their, their potential to, to develop in order to bring that to life. So we work with that space of potential of what this person can develop and can shift in her in the way she's thinking about things, doing things and being within that context that if she becomes more conscious, so conscience is a big part of this, if she becomes more conscious and does those shifts, she will, her capacity to deliver different levels of value will going to be stepping up quite considerably. So that part of essence and potential and looking as living hold that are always changing and, and adapting and coping with the world around is something we work with. Obviously, it's uh, it's never the same. So we always to be uh, we have to be engaging in this way that Constance was saying in our full selves, trying to meet the person halfway. So one of the things we often do is we we call it external considering, but you know, basically is putting ourselves in the other's shoes and think like how are this how is this CEO of the company thinking? What is the world perspective from his own, you know? reality from his own being so that then we can find ways to help uh, the person gain discernment or the organization and and we work this together always in teams because we also have we are also in that process right so we keep to keep our, ourselves in check otherwise we don't we don't fall in the trap of downloading things on people or on territories and really working with them in a living way yeah and it's, it's just, just some more tips yeah, 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 wonderful. If I, may, if I may add a personal story of of this uh, this being this ability, this capacity to to be in the, the other's shoes and really to <clears throat> to work with that. One thing is to recognize that first, you have to see that, and then to to have a is being able to establish a process where you can really move. So, my brother, he is, I would say, he views the world in a very different way than I do. I think. You know, in a nutshell, very neoliberal technology, all of that. And we have these territorial fights, cat and dog, about climate change, the world, you know, and he calls me an echo terrorist and things like that. <laughs> but, you know, in a kind of a humoristic way. And uh, and so especially when we're at, at, at lunches and things like that, right? And I, I, we have a ground rule now, which is we don't go into that space because otherwise we end up fighting. Because our, simply our worldviews collide, right? But then one day I really was able to understand him. Because, you know, he's a smart guy, very well educated, very well connected, you know. So it's not like he doesn't see and understand the data. It's not, you know, it's like, 
So, but I never really cared enough to understand deeply why was he kind of um, being that way and, and not even wanting to engage in a conversation, you know, just like pointing fingers, not even like trying to say, okay, let me, not that step of let me, let, I want to know more. Yeah. Cause he has kids, you know, I'm sure he sees also his concerns about the world changing, et cetera. And one day we're in this lunch and we had drink a little bit. So, you know, things were a little bit more softer and all of that. So some of these defenses that we build up, you know, like we're a little bit more loose. And he told me really with a lot of anger, meaning he cared a lot uh, about like, so you keep telling me these things about climate change and the change that we need to do and get rid of fossil fuels and this, that, that, that. Are you really deeply aware of what that means in terms of lifestyle what that means in terms of changing lifestyle if we were to go that way and indeed I understood where it was going he is really likes his life he really likes his life and he understands that we have to do these profound transformational shifts that will challenge our lifestyles. And he doesn't want to go that way. Fair enough. Yeah, you know? wow. And I was like, from that moment on, I'm like, oh, my capacity basically to empathize with folks like him. So I also see him as a persona, right? Someone that represents the way that people think. Uh, maybe those big companies are coming in, you know, maybe all of this greenwashing thingy, whatever. I There's an element of that, that which is really like they deeply understand. Everybody deeply understands, like most, not everybody, but most people really deeply understand. They just don't want to go there. And so, and that's the space. Okay. One is the kind of, you know, like the recognition part, right? You surface that out. Oh, and that's open up a field where if I was to engage with him in a different way, where if there was a little bit of opening, of course, then it's family doesn't work. But, you know, if you're in a space of, of uh, you know, a different sort of partnership, then then you could work with that. But you need to create the relationship. You need to create the environment. Maybe alcohol is a part of that. I have no idea, you know. <laughs> but you need to break down barriers, basically, so that you then you can get to the essence of what's going on, to really the core of what's going on, and why are you afraid, and what do you want to change, and all you know, all of these, what's restraining, activating you, so that you can start that process of, oh, okay, so let's let's accommodate that. Let's not say, no, no, everything will be fine in this new lifestyle. You'll love it as well. No, okay, so what about it that you don't want to lose? Maybe, you know. And this is a guy, again, he is in the sharing economy, he's not in the whole property thing. So there's a lot that you can pick up from. So I really appreciated that moment. It was like, wow, okay. That's a wonderful story. Ladies and gentlemen who are hearing us, uh, a disclosure in Lucida, we don't use alcohol to change people's mindsets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but it, it's great you're pointing also, Constanza, because in a way it's part of how our work has been shifting is we don't think that, for instance, working with regeneration or uh, is about going out there trying to convince others. Uh, and we realize also that there's many ways to work around change and coping with the current situation we are in and this big transformation we are going through, right? So one of the one of the things we common obs uh, often observe is people arguing with each other, what's right or wrong, or this is the right way to go for change or that. 
we are often caught up in this reactive mode. And I guess what Constanza was saying, I can have that experience in my family. There's all these trigger things, topics and things that generate reaction within the family dynamics, right? And we have that in, in social contexts. And you see in social media how much is feeding on reactivity. And so there's a problem. If we keep just looking at what is generating the reactivity on a surface level, which is apparently the contradiction of, of worldviews, we are not going to, we are not really uh, creating the ground for change because it's going to be like this, right? Us or us and them against one against the other, and we see that polarization dynamic going going around very strongly. So we we our work is in in a way, and what we are trying to to kind of work with people is develop their capacity to develop conscience in a way that they can understand what are the deeper patterns that are sourcing that reactivity. For instance, her her brother, Constance's brother was reactive because he was trying to protect his way of living and in a way his expectations of how life should be. Um, so can we, instead of working reactively, start to acknowledge that and then see what we can work together to work in that in a more purposeful way? Because it might be that we are able to protect some aspects that are really fundamental of our living lifestyles and the way we want to live life with the kind of change you want to produce. But if we just keep discussing on the surface, we're never going to really have the conversations that are necessary to have to reconcile this. So this is a great example of how, how we can start to work on really acknowledging it's not about being right or wrong, like, like Ruby said. There's a, there's a place out there uh, beyond right and wrong, let's meet there. And I guess that's the invitation we need to do to each other right now. Instead of getting in the right or wrong, who is doing the best work, who is doing the wrong work, what is regeneration, what is not. We just came from a meeting in Mallorca where that kind of setting was taking place and acknowledging doesn't make sense to discuss who's right or wrong. Each one of us has a different calling, a different role to, to, take, to take in this. Can we support each other and continue to question ourselves, question each other in a healthy way, but in a supportive way? It's hard to do what we have to do all together. And, and the fact is we don't know how to do it collectively and individually. So we need to really be humble and, uh, and support each other. We're going to fail tremendously. Every day <laughs> we need, we're going to fail somehow on something and can we be gentle, delicate, and support each other. I guess that's that's what I'm feeling. This sense of love and work with being to being with each other instead of just, you know, this kind of woke culture, right? That this is the right thing and you're wrong and all these backlashes that you have on social media that waste so much energy. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, maybe I'll just put one question that might, uh, or one approach that might be useful for your listeners is, as we are, <clears throat> what Nuno said is easier said than done, right? But then maybe one way to approach these conflicts of opinion, of perspective, of uh, worldviews is to hold this question of what is right about ABC? What is right about the neoliberal perspective? What is right about climate change advocates? What is right about uh, LGBTQA+. You know, what is right about white 
superiority? I mean, there's, and these are difficult questions, eh? but there's, the thing is, it puts us in the mindset of trying to see not what's wrong about the other one, like what is that element that might be right? And I want to explore further. So going at that place of not knowing, right? I think that is a good question to face these differences in the world and see if they put you in that other space of, of inquiry. That's great. Thank you. I, we are, I think it's very common to intellectually value, oh yeah, let's empathize, but how frequently do we do it? And and if we sit in that space longer, how would that change our approach? And, and if for nothing else, just to appreciate the challenge in a, mm -hmm. in a more realistic way. One of my wrap-up questions, we're coming up to our, our time here, was to ask for your advice to, to listeners uh, and specifically to leaders, people in businesses or organizations that want to take the step to transform their business. This was one great one. Constanza, uh, thank you. Do you have others that you'd like to share? Open to, to both of you. Well, I would add another one, which is especially for leadership. I think there's also this myth still of a hero's journey. And what we're talking about here is is not a hero's journey. It is a collective journey that we all need to participate in. So I would say <clears throat> that it, it might start with a, a, an individual impulse, right? And especially leaders and companies, organizations have a very specific role. So listen to that calling, you know, and then we know deep down when things need to change. So listen to that calling, but really see this this process as something, what is the, the, you know, the, maybe the smallest whole, you know, maybe the smallest um, way of looking at it, at this change process that is not about you and then having others control, manage, whatever, then come back. Right. And, and with regen what regenerative uh, development uh, teaches us actually, which is very helpful and it's, you need to see at least three nested levels. So look at yourself as a leader, yeah, what is the change that you have to go through, but then also have a team as diverse as possible from your organization and the work that you're doing in the world. So always consider at least those three levels of, of work, of relationship. That's the journey that you need to go on through. And you can start small. It's not like the whole you know organization and the whole sector that you're going to change you know, and the whole range of products and services. Just really try to bring those three levels together as a whole, as you're going through this, this change process. And maybe then out of that, your role as a leader will be not to direct and control and say yes or no. Going back to the humbleness is more like always creating the conditions that allow this unfolding of this little microsystem that's kind of exploring how to transform. And those conditions can be from, you know, making sure people have the right time to do things, you know, to listen, to um yeah to, to have the, the right system of learning and adaptation you know that's to challenge so just these conditions that allow life to emerge and to be more adapted that's what's coming up to me yeah great wonderful constanza there's yeah there's 
definitely uh, something around Otto Sharma calls it the, the big uh, blind spot of leadership that we often look at uh, leadership just for what they are doing out there in the world or what they are what is visible from their work and actually we rarely look at what are the inner conditions uh, that can allow to generate that kind of way of, of doing things. So I guess one of the things leaders should be looking at is really finding an alignment and balance between what they want to bring to the world, what is really important for them, what is the, their being state, like what is their inner conditions, you know, that are uh, levels of energy, the different con conditions that are sustaining them so that then they can show up and, and interact with people in a certain way. And that's very important because, as Constanza was saying, we don't live in a world anymore that one leader will show us the way. Even in Buddhism, people are talking about that the next Buddha is not is going to be community, not one in the single individual. There's that kind of, uh, of uh, ideas, narratives going around also there. So I guess we live in the big shift. And one of the things is how we can have ways to relate and structures and, and systems in place that allows the system to see itself, so allows an organization to have a sense of itself in relationship with the world around and be able to um, be more, more adaptive and more capable of, of moving with the growing complexity around. And that requires that everybody steps up and have more conscience about their role within the organizations. So it cannot continue to be a top-down, very hierarchical structure. We need to change dramatically that kind of things. Not to be totally flat also, there's going to be people in different roles and functions, different things, but how we can harmonize more this inner and outer, inner individual, outer and inner organization, outer in a balanced way that can really sustain a developmental path for an organization that is ongoing learning, um, stimulating learning in, in, with their peers, including the CEOs. The CEOs can't expect an organization to evolve if they are not willing to continue to uh, develop themselves. So there's something about creating the conditions for what, what Peter Singer called the, the learning organizations. For the last 30 years, we've been talking about that. So let's, let's, bring it to life, How, what it means to have a living organization that is conductive to learning, ongoing learning and development in, in all their, their different uh, parts. And as a society, we need to be that way also. Great. Yeah, excellent advice and insights. Thank you both. I also want to ask you what on your journey from earliest childhood up until now stands out as moments or experiences of inspiration. It can be related to your work in regeneration. It could be anything, but just what are, what are some of the great memories that have sparked inspiration for you? Well, maybe it's because I saw on Facebook yesterday, a memory eight years ago, that's more alive in me. But uh, I went, I crossed the Atlantic uh, sailing with uh, 13 other women and three weeks together and we didn't know each other. And the way that it's been most inspirational is because of how there is so many 
judgment even coming from women against other women, how we came together as a female group, but how our roles, we just, it was such a beautiful shared leadership, organizational collective that was going through a lot in a very uncertain, very dramatically changing environment um, and life-threatening in the end, because as soon as you get out there, then there's no one to rescue you and they won't get on time if it's something really urgent. And we just came beautifully together. And it was such a bliss of all, also, so it's a human experience was a bliss with, it wasn't always super nice, but it was a bliss, you know, just to go through all of that together and in total communion with, with nature and with the ocean and with the birds and with the clouds and with the wind. So it was just, for me, it was just like the most, and then it contained like three weeks, you know, so it was just very intense, but, you know, beginning ends and it just, I still carry it today, even if I don't have a Facebook memory that tells me that. So that was, that's, that's the one I'm carrying today. That sounds like a beautiful experience. Thank you. So a couple of things. One is actually nature, because two years ago, back in 2007, I, I made a big trip. I went to work in, in uh, Uruguay, and I, I made a big, big trip, road trip around South America. And I remember the, the first place I went was Patagonia. And I remember to be in the in front of Perito Moreno, which is one of the most scenic um, glaciers you can witness because it just came in front. You you are witnessing coming in the lake in the in the lake in front of you, like this massive, huge, thirty meter walls. Um, and I remember to sit there alone because a big big part of this trip was was done alone, um, and having this sense of. Uh, impermanence that this is going to this my kids when, whenever I'm going to have kids or my next generations I'm not going to see this so there's a profound pain in that and also at the same time a profound sense of beauty and of, of acknowledging that you know this doesn't make sense if I'm experiencing this just by myself so that moment there alone in front of the Perito Moreno for me was a kind of a renewal of commitment and my sensibility towards uh, recognizing that life is is uh, is about is is being with each other. There's no that that this kind of collecting experiences kind of way of looking at life today from a very individualistic perspective is not really uh, fulfilling. And if I add that to a sense of there's a, there's a first there's a very beautiful movie that often Christians and I talk about called um, Humans. It's a three uh, parts movie. It's just interviews with the black scenario and faces of people talking about different aspects of life, love, death. And there's an interview on the first movie. You can watch this on YouTube. It's available. There's an interview of a guy that is on the death uh, row in the states. He's accused of killing, uh, you know, a family, a mother and the, and the child um, when he was 20-something. He was a very young guy. And he's talking about, like, you know, when his father used to beat him when he was a kid. He always knew violence for him. Love was about, you know, a way to express love was to make others' lives miserable, you know, beat them, whatever. So they would, he would always, would always hurt even people he would love. 
So he ends up killing this woman and her, her baby and he's in prison waiting for death, death uh, penalty. And um, a woman starts to write to him and he starts to cry telling about that woman that actually shifted the way he thought about love. And actually the woman was the grandmother of the kid and mother of the, of the woman that was killed, which started to write him just to understand him to understand what it where he had to go to to be to do such a hedonist crime you know and by engaging in that conversation with him she was able to understand him to um, in a way uh, apologize well uh, you could never apologize but at least to reconcile that and allow him to understand what love really is and th that moment was so strong for me because even in these extreme cases, human beings are able to, you know, when there's a different way to come in, to generate all sorts of unexpected results. So that that filled me with a lot of deep, deep appreciation, care, and um, and hope for the humankind. We have what it takes to do this. But we need to support each other, be humble, and acknowledge our shortcomings. We, it's it's, uh, it's very easy to get contracted in uh, in your own preservation kind of um, coping mechanisms that then end up, you know, generating results nobody of us wants to generate in the world. So let's let's all support each other and be be humble and and uh, try to do the best we can every day. Beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. The final question I want to ask for both of you is in your work and in the field of regeneration, sustainability, whatever frame different people are, are using, where do you see the most hope? Where have you found areas that give you hope? Well, I would personally, I wouldn't call it necessarily my field. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm sensing into that, uh, the, the capacity of humans to change and to do it very quickly if needed. Um, and I think this is in the end, my deep inquiry all, <clears throat> always. And just this, this whole, these social media movements that we have seen that really go against the deep systemic inequalities or injustices. So from Black Lives Matters in the middle of the pandemic, you know, when humanity was going through <laughs> God knows what. Um, the Fridays for Future with all the youth, you know, saying it's enough. We want to, you know, you adults don't know what you're doing, but they came together and they just, you know, they and amplify their voice and they organized so fast to now the latest um, movement around uh, the movement from, from Iran against the hijab and the amount of, um yeah the courage to face that and to go against things that will end up in a life-threatening uh event and but you know still sharing and all that kind of effects it's having on so many people you might say that does might not lead to change but the fact that people are coming together are using these tools that are also a uh, reason for other unintended consequences that are not very helpful there's just so much impulse for us to wanting to be better 
And that really gives me a lot of hope. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. There's so much things going on. So, yeah, I would say not putting names, but there's just, just a word for all the pioneers are out there, just doing a lot of work. Often many of them in a in a in a you know with a lot of effort and a lot of uh, pain in kind of trying to explore new pathways to all those who are you know in, in between inside the system doing what they can to uh, auspice the pain that is in each system and trying to to do some leverage and change whatever they can but still you know in dialogue with surrounding the margins, as Constance is saying, and there's so much going on. Um, and I, I also think there's a lot of um, promising, uh, a lot of hope in, in spaces where people start to converge, kind of these nodal points. Either it's a land or a community in somewhere, and there's many, plenty of people converging in that sense, but also converging on a more um, global scale also around, um, you know, regeneration and learning with each other, what it means to regenerate ourselves, our cultures and, and the land around us. Because often regeneration is taught in terms of just regenerating the land. And I do uh, appreciate and admire people who are able to commit their lives to one, one specific land and be there all the time. It's, it takes a lot to be on an ongoing basis in your place, committing energy and, and you're renewing your will to, you know, to, to regenerate that place. So there's, there's plenty of, of spaces to find hope and find, find um, exciting things to do. Unfortunately, most of them, you'll not find them on the news. So go, go and look around, but there's plenty, plenty, plenty of people uh, everywhere uh, at this moment doing things in, uh, in, and often in the margins. So I would say don't look at the centers of power for the really interesting things. Look at the margins and look at the spaces in between. And you'll find there's a lot of promising uh, stuff going on and a lot of promising uh, relationships starting to be nurtured, which is where a lot of changes can, can come from. That's great. Look to the margins, have hope and faith in the capacity of the human spirit to adapt and be resilient, flirt with the potential, find your essence. These are some of the themes bubbling up for me right now. This was such a fun conversation. Thanks again, both of you for joining me and sharing your story. And I'm really excited to see the next chapters of Lucida and the work that comes and continue to have these these dancing in the complexity moments together and sharing good company along the journey. Thank you both so much for joining. Thank you, Thank Jay. you, Jay. Thank you for the energy. This is a beautiful space as well. Thank you.